know if you were watching your calendar this week, but we marked as a nation and really as a world the 73rd anniversary of D-Day, the amphibious landings there on the coast of France that began the liberation of Europe from Nazi oppression. And it was just over a year ago that our family actually had the opportunity to tour Normandy. And I can tell you, it was, it was beyond powerful. It was absolutely a spiritual experience to walk the cliffs of Pointe du Hoc that are 100 feet above the English Channel, to walk on the sands of Utah Beach and Omaha Beach. We, we actually got to tour and, and came to the very crossroads there at Braycourt Manor where Easy Company assaulted that German artillery that was lobbing shells onto the beaches of Normandy. It was an incredible experience. We walked through and toured the American cemetery in Normandy. We toured the German cemetery, the British cemetery. And as we walked across this hallowed ground, I couldn't help but thinking that World War II marked the passing of an era. Because I would suggest to you that the chances are we will never, ever again as a nation fight a war that we are absolutely as united in as we were in World War II. In World War II, hundreds and thousands of young, barely post-adolescent men volunteered to serve in the military. Women went to work in the factories to, to produce the material and the supplies needed to fight the war. The entire nation rationed rubber and butter and sugar and steel so that every possible resource could be brought to bear fighting the evil of fascism. And even those who were beyond the years of, of serving in the military, men, men bought war bonds and served in any way that they could. And as a nation, by and large, there, there were some glaring exceptions, but by and large, we were absolutely united in fighting this war. It, it was by any rational measure, a, a just war. It was absolutely the good fight, if you will. Well, I believe with everything I have that there is another fight confronting you and me today that should equally draw us into a united front. That, that within this fight, there is actually a conflict going on for the soul of our culture, going on for the souls of us individually that is so pervasive that it requires a unified front. I believe that every single one of us, old and young, male and female, Christian and not, should come together and unite to fight pornography. Pornography is so pervasive. It is so poisonous. It is so pandemic that we have become absolutely immune to it. Now, we began this series a few weeks ago called Come On, Man, that is devoted to exploring and explaining the biblical role of masculinity in the world and in our lives, not only for men, but also for the women who know men, who, who love men, and to understand what God is calling men to be and to do. And as we were preparing and as I was praying and planning for this series, it became readily apparent that we cannot address the subject of manhood and not talk about pornography. It is so rampant. And I will tell you, I enter into this message this week with, with a pretty, just uncharacteristically heavy heart. I usually like 
to start with a story that you can connect with, with something that's kind of funny. But the reality is that there's nothing funny about this subject. And it touches every single one of us. Now, what I hope to accomplish in the time that we have left this morning, we've only got about two hours left in this sermon, so we're going to have to hurry. I'm just kidding. I was making sure you were paying attention. What I hope to do is really threefold. I think God wants to illuminate us. I think he wants to educate us. And I know that the ultimate payoff of this message, of this time together today, is that the Holy Spirit of God will motivate us. What I mean by that is this. I think all of us need to be illuminated to the dangers of pornography. Some of us in this room, by the grace of God, are absolutely clueless. You have no idea how poisonous, how pervasive this problem really is. And you need to be aware. You need to be illuminated as to just what's going on out there. Now, you don't have to ever ingest poison to know that something's poison, but it's imperative that all of us know What's going on in the world that we live in? What's going on in the lives of the people that we love? But it's also important for another group of us to be illuminated because you're ingesting this poison. And you have bought the lie that says it's no big deal, it's really harmless, or the, the ultimate lie that, that it's so, it's, it, it just, it absolutely blows my mind that the lie that We're just going to spice up our marriage with pornography. Be smarter than that. The fact of the matter is, pornography is a lie from the pit of hell that Satan uses to twist and damage one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. And so if you're buying into one of those lies, you need to be illuminated. But I think we all need to be educated. We need to understand how pornography works, how it, how it weasels its way into our minds and our hearts and then literally rewires our brains and the way we think and the way we perceive. But ultimately, this is not a bad news sermon. We're, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the good news, how the gospel of Jesus Christ absolutely repudiates and refutes all of the lies of pornography. And so we hopefully and prayerfully will walk out of here motivated to adopt a completely zero tolerance for this garbage in our lives. So we're going to be illuminated, I hope and pray. I hope and pray we're going to be educated. And I really want you to walk out of here fired up and motivated to guard this gift. Now, it's fascinating because you don't have to be a particularly moral person to absolutely understand the dangers of pornography and and what's out there specifically for the next generation this is the first generation that will come of age with absolute access to everything and part of what makes pornography so dangerous is, is what researchers refer to as the triple a of pornography it is affordable i.e completely free it is accessible anybody can get to it within a heartbeat and It is completely anonymous. You you can be totally anonymous and consume such poison, such filth that nobody ever knows about, and it just continues to degrade and to belittle the image of God that you were created, that I was created to carry in this world. The American College of Pediatricians, recognizing the dangers of the pervasiveness of pornography in our culture, wrote this in June 2016. 
They said that the availability and the use of pornography has become almost ubiquitous among adults and adolescents. It means it's everywhere. Consumption of pornography is associated with many negative emotional, psychological, and physical health outcomes. These include increased rates of depression, anxiety, acting out, and violent behavior, younger age of sexual debut, sexual promiscuity, an increased risk of teen pregnancy, and a distorted view of relationships between men and women. For adults, pornography results in an increased likelihood of divorce, which is also harmful to children. The American College of Pediatricians urges healthcare professionals to communicate the risks of pornography used to patients and their families and to offer resources both to protect children from viewing pornography and to treat individuals suffering from its negative side effects. So it's not just a, a, a moral, hyper-spiritualized kind of anti-sex thing. To be sure, the gospel of Jesus Christ elevates our sexuality to such a high plane that the world has never known. It is the world that degrades, that debases this gift of our sexuality that God has given to us. And it is pornography that absolutely destroys what God intended when he invented sex. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him right now with passion and enthusiasm, God invented sex. Some of you can't even believe those words just came out of your mouth. Now, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some, some statistics. I don't want you to worry about writing them down. I want you to just kind of just take this in as a whole, if you will. For every 400 movies that are produced every year, there are 11,000 porn videos produced. Divorce rates double when porn is introduced into a marriage. The average age of first exposure to internet porn is 11 years old. Children can access hardcore sexual assault pornography within 15 seconds of their first click. Dr. Gail Dines, sociologist at Wheelock University in Boston, cites that porn sites get more visitors per month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Dr. Warren Benford, who is a female law professor and child advocate, says that of men aged 18 to 25, fully one-third are experiencing arousal problems caused by pornography. Children who engage in pornography early on create a toxic stew. There is, of course, sexual arousal followed by shame, fear, and anger, leading to social isolation, depression, and anxiety. The brains of young boys who are exposed to pornography show an underdeveloped connection to the prefrontal cortex, which is where intellectual maturity, rational thought, and reason happen. I'm a 50-year-old guy. I need all of the help I can get with intellectual maturity, rational thought, and reason. These are some of the effects of pornography exposure upon older adolescents and young adults. Male subjects demonstrated increased callousness toward women. Subjects considered the crime of rape less serious. Subjects became more interested in more extreme and deviant forms of pornography. Subjects were more likely to say they were dissatisfied with their sexual partner. 
Subjects were more accepting of sexual infidelity in a relationship, and men experienced a decreased desire to have children, and women experienced a decreased desire to have a daughter. The fact of the matter is that pornography is not a victimless crime. A prolonged exposure to pornography, scientists have discovered, literally rewires the way our brains function. I have a brief video that, that I think explains this really, really well and clearly because I'm not a neuroscientist. But I want to just share this with you very, very quickly and show you what happens to the human brain when we expose ourselves to pornography. Check this out. Sexual tastes vary from person to person, but with the current pornography epidemic, as some call it, one has to wonder how exactly this may affect our desires and perception of sexuality. Moreover, how does it affect our sex lives? Pornography constitutes about 25% of all search engine requests and is the fourth most common reason people give for going on the internet. And while it may seem to simply facilitate an instinctual sexual response linked to millions of years of evolution, the truth is, pornography has dynamically changed over time, ultimately molding our tastes and desires. The not-so-shocking truth is that pornography has profound consequences for the brain and acts in many ways like a drug. With prolonged exposure, your tolerance is increased and many often find themselves addicted. Though it's not a physical substance, it leads to the same general loss of control, the compulsiveness to seek out the activity despite negative consequences, and withdrawal when it goes away, much like that of gambling or running, for example. The issue is that continued exposure can cause long-term or even lifelong neuroplastic change in the brain. Dopamine is released as a reward whenever we accomplish something, whether it be eating to sustain life or sexual activity to produce future life. And this dopamine consolidates neural connections in order to drive us to perform the same activity in the future. In other words, it alters and forms the brain cells to motivate certain actions. It rewires your brain. The National Institutes of Health measure drug addictiveness by testing rats. The rat is trained to press a button in order to get a drug, and the harder it works indicates how addictive the substance is. It turns out that the more addictive a drug is, the more dopamine we see released. And while there is, unfortunately, no rat porn that we can give to them, we do know that dopamine is also released during sexual excitement, which pornography plays right into. The more time you spend doing it, the more dopamine gets released, which reinforces the behavior and makes you not only desire it in the future, but require it. And as you begin to imagine these images away from the computer or while having sex, they become reinforced. Furthermore, each orgasm releases even more dopamine, which consolidates the connections made during the session. It's a feedback loop that becomes harder to escape. And just like a drug, your tolerance for visual stimulation has now compounded, making it more difficult to be turned on by reality. Pornography addiction can often lead to finding your mate less attractive. The good news is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Usually when people understand the mechanism and realize it's affecting their relationships, they can stop. The brain is often described as a use-it-or-lose-it system because the neural connections you stimulate grow stronger and desire to be activated, while the ones you ignore become weakened. Much like your muscles, which, if sitting still all day, itch for activity, but after prolonged non-use, they become complacent. Luckily, because of this use-it-or-lose-it brain, the same neuroplastic system that proliferates these habits can also be used to acquire healthier ones. It's kind of scary stuff. And here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line to the whole thing. Pornography is a poison 
that preys upon every single person that it touches. It, it preys upon the women that it degrades. It preys upon the men whom it defrauds. And it preys upon the culture that it destroys. It is a big, big deal. Now, that's the bad news. The good news, the good news really is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus speaks into every single part of life, bringing life, bringing hope, bringing promise, bringing healing where there is damage. And this, the bad news is not the end of the story. The good news of Jesus promises us restoration into the relationship with God that we were created for and, by extension, our relationships with each other. But it also promises us the redemption, the redemption of our hurt, the redemption of our brokenness, the redemption of our sin, the redemption of our woundedness. And it's into this reality that you and I find ourselves here today going, God, now what? We understand the problem. We understand that it's real. And it's not just a cultural thing, although it is. Ultimately, the world will always be the world. The question is, what do you and I do with this personally? How do we respond in the gospel, within a relationship with Jesus, to the world as it presents itself? I want to share with you something from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament. And I want you to listen to these words or read these words along with me from the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. But look at how relevant this is for the world you and I live in right now. He says in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, Now, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I mean, holy smoke. Isn't that amazing? These words that God inspired Paul to write to the church in Ephesus somewhere around 60 or 70 A.D., just transplant them right here to Austin 2017 or online 2017. And it's like, it's so spot on that, that we can hopelessly confuse ourselves by hardening our hearts and our minds to the truth of God, by buying into the lies and telling ourselves the lies over and over again to where we are literally wandering around in the darkness, alone and isolated. But he says it doesn't have to be that way. He says, throw off the old self that was corrupted by lust and deception. Because lust is ultimately deception, isn't it? I mean, Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Because ultimately, lust is about our hearts. It's a, it's a motivation issue. Long before it's a sex issue, but make no mistake about it, and this you should write down, sex is always 
a heart issue. It is always a heart issue. Now, it can be a lot of fun, but it is always a heart issue every single time. And and so Jesus is is much more concerned about our, our hearts and our motivations and how that then plays out through our bodies, our minds, our, our, our words. And it's against that backdrop that the Bible tells us what to do. I think it'd be so easy. And for generations, a lot of people have kind of, you know, railed against sin and this, that, and the other. And God's going to strike you down. Blah, blah. That's not what this is all about. This, this is about the promise of hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the hope for a new life, the hope for the best life that there is. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he, he once said that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means that every sad thing will come untrue. Every sad thing will come untrue in Christ. Now that's true in the end times to be sure, and it's true historically from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but part of the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that we get to experience that restoration and that redemption in the here and the now. We get to put this into practice. And so I want to just give you four things, four things to build into your lives that our lives, my life, because we all, all face this. I have never in my life heard of anyone who had completely, completely defeated the demon of lust. I I don't know a person, and I've never met a guy who was healthy and normal and loved the Lord who didn't wrestle with this on a regular basis. Some of you women right now, you think, not my husband, he's so sweet. I promise you, your husband, he can be sweet, but he's a dude. And men are visually oriented. Why do you think our movies have explosions and cars and beautiful women? Because we're dudes. Hollywood understands us. They've just recently started preying upon you with that Fifty Shades of Grey vomit that is available to you. And you're starting to buy the lie that men have been buying into for millennia. But men, we are, we are naturally more visually oriented Women are smarter. We know that. There's, there's, now women can be visually oriented as well, but I'm saying between men and women, common sense dictates it's the guy. And men, we must guard our hearts and our minds. Women, you too. And we need your help. We need your help. But how do you guard your heart and your life against this poison, against this cancer? And make no mistake about it, it's cancer. Now, some cancer is benign, some is malignant, but it is all a distortion of healthy cells. All pornography is cancer. And here's the thing. Pornography is less about the image being conveyed than it is the one consuming the image. You've heard it said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, pornography is in the heart and the mind of the beholder. It's about what we do with it in our minds and where we go with it that determines pornography or lust. The word pornography comes from a Greek word that is porneia. Porneia means any sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, graphy. It's the picture of sexual immorality that we give license to in our minds and in our hearts. So what do we do? Number one, and I'm going to give you a great church word to start this off. You ready? 
sanctify sex personally. Sanctify sex personally. To sanctify means that you set something aside or apart from that which is common and and you make it holy. It it is set apart. And and some of you think, wait, make, make sex holy? Yeah, because God already has. Look at Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God gave us this gift, this gift to be enjoyed, this gift to be cherished, this this gift to to celebrate within the covenant context of marriage. One man, one woman, one life. It is within that protective covering that God celebrates and elevates human sexuality like nobody else has ever even thought of. So for us to get our, get our lives where we need to be in relation to pornography, it begins with a decision. It begins with a choice to sanctify sex personally, to decide. This is a gift from God that I will do everything I can to protect and to guard in my life and in my heart and in my mind. So I will set it apart as holy. Number two, purify our intentions relentlessly. Purify our intentions relentlessly. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This, This is a heart issue. So we've got to guard our intentions, our our motives, bring them continuously captive to Christ. Echo the words of David saying, God, find any offensive way that is within me and clean it out and replace it by your spirit, by your presence. It's about getting our motives and our hearts right. So we, we are always, always checking our motives, always checking our hearts. But then number three, We embrace accountability willingly. We don't just tolerate accountability. We embrace it. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but but our church is a little bit weird. Our church is weird. Did you know that we have more men in Bible studies than we have women in Bible study? That is unheard of. I love that women are leading that cheer. That's awesome. But part of what happens in a men's Bible study is not just the the ingesting of Scripture, which is really important, but it's the relationships, it's the connections that men make in godly, manly ways with each other, where we say, I got your back, you got my back, we're going to do this thing together, and I'm going to make sure that you are doing everything you can to guard every part of your life that God's given you, particularly if you're married, I'm going to celebrate your marriage, I'm going to make sure you're celebrating your marriage. The book of Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another. But you have got to be around iron. You've got to be around people who believe what God tells us to be the truth. And you only do that by putting yourself in those situations. So I, I can't tell you strongly enough how much we need, all of us, need accountability, particularly in this most private, most precious of areas of our lives. Because again, we can remain completely anonymous and 
ingest so much crap, so much poison, so much garbage that nobody would ever know about, but it will find its way out into our lives every single time. Every single time. Turn to your neighbor and tell them right now, you're not that special. Because right now, somebody's thinking, well, that's not going to be me. I got this under control. It's rewiring your brain. You can't help it, bruh. It's, it's, it's releasing dopamine, and you're going, you're like the rat. You're not that special. You need help. I need help. There are men in my life, one of them being my son Joseph, who can check my computer at any moment with no warning whatsoever. And we have an agreement that we never erase the history on our browser. You want to talk about accountability? When your boy is looking at your computer, ESPN, here I come. (laughs) I'm just saying we need this. And if you are here today and this is legitimately a problem, I want you to know there's hope in Christ, in Christian counseling. If you need help, be man enough, be brave enough to step up and say it. Call the church office, one of our pastors. We can recommend you to someone. We have pastors who do counseling. I don't do a lot of counseling because it's not my gift. It's not my strength, and I'm, I'm usually not as much help as somebody else in that arena. Sometimes I am, but usually not. But if you need help, get the help. Talk to somebody. Do not hide it. Mold grows in the dark, and so does shame. So bring it into the light. Embrace that accountability. And then number four, this, this is for the husbands in the house. How many of you are married men? Let me see a show of hands. Let me hear from you. Oh! Okay. Men, this is a command from God. Satisfy your wives faithfully. Satisfy your wife. Some of you need to go home to your wives this afternoon. Don't do it in church. (laughs) And just say, honey, I'm here for you. I believe God's call on my life. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 says this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. We can just stop right there. That's a good Bible verse to memorize if you're a married man or woman. And if you're not a married man or woman, something to keep in mind when you're looking for that Mr. Right or Ms. Right. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Verse 5, do not, everybody say do not. Do not not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Some of you just committed to a regimen of Scripture memory when I read that verse. But here's the deal. What's true in football is true in this arena as well. The best defense is a good offense. Where we get into trouble is when we get bored, when we get distracted, when we're not pursuing Christ with everything that we have and what he's got for us in this world. 
So if you're not married, you pursue God with everything that you've got, and you make sure that the minutes and hours of your day are accounted for in the things that honor God and bring Him glory and you good. And if you are married, if we are married, then we make sure that we're doing everything we can to create an environment of loving, serving, sexual fulfillment for our wives. I mean, we just, we just say, hey, I'm here for you, babe. <laughs> you know, that kind of, kind of that, you know, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, that kind of mentality. But it's biblical because God knows that he's created us with this appetite, with this desire to glorify him and to bring us good. And it's into that that you and I get to experience the life that is truly life. So I hope you, I hope you walk out of here today with hope and with the promise of fulfillment in every area of life as it's promised by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, to have it just overflowing. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, it's imperative that we understand God's heart. And not only that we understand it, but that we pursue the heart of God. That we pursue living out His desire, His design for every part of our lives. Yeah, it's, it's a heavy subject today. But as heavy as the subject is, the hope is greater. The hope of a new life in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with Jesus, we invite you to do that right now. To commit your life, every part of your life, to the one who willingly chose to die in your place, in my place. He died because he, he became our sin. He took it on himself, willingly. And then he was alienated from, from God the Father. He, he was separated from that perfect love, but he rose again. He rose again with the promise of new life and he rose again with the promise to make every sad thing untrue, to redeem our deepest shame, our deepest wound, our deepest pain, our greatest sin. If you're here today and you want to step into a relationship with this Jesus, then we would invite you to pray. Just silently, right where you are, just say openly and silently, 
Just talk to God. He'll hear you. He knows your heart. And just say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. And that you rose again from the dead for me. And I accept your offer of new life. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. With our heads bowed for just a moment, I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, if that was your prayer, don't walk out of this place anonymous. Don't walk out of this place and leave it in just a solitary place. Understand that you're surrounded by a family of faith who loves you, who wants to help. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we want to help. And the best way that you can start that dialogue and let us know is through that connect card that's in the program. Fill it out and indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week and then hand it to one of our hosts or ushers on the way out. That's number one. But number two, as our heads are bowed in this sacred moment, if that was your prayer and you stepped into that relationship with Christ, would you just raise your hand, just quietly, but raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there for a moment? Because this is the most important moment of your life. It's a moment that needs to be marked. And it's a moment that we celebrate. We honor that. And as you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.